God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury and Wyoming Valley. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, please stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski. Thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform at 10 a.m. every Sunday where these programs are uploaded, and you will also find other content on there as well. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We are in very divisive times right now divisive and angry times. There's a lot of disagreements politically. There are disagreements socially, economically, and spiritually. I once heard someone say, anger is a gift. I'm not too sure that that's always the best way to look at it. It's true that the emotion of anger can sometimes be useful for good, but the emotion of anger can also be the most destructive force on earth for evil. And we need wisdom to know how to conduct ourselves right as we are in the midst of such turmoil with a presidential election that has taken place. And uh, we just need God's help so that we have the right perspective and we have the right spirit. So let's just dive right in. We have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus bringing out the heart of God that had been lost for a long time. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verses, uh, we'll start in verse 21. Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. So when Jesus said, Ye have heard of old time, He was talking about the oral tradition that was passed down. A lot of uh, the Jewish culture was very much that. No doubt they wrote things down, but a lot of people heard some of the stories, uh, some of the accounts that were in the Bible because they were passed down and they liked to tell stories. And so he said, you have heard. Now, that would have been the common people, too. They would have come to the synagogues. They would have heard what was being said at any given time. And the common people, if they didn't know how to read, at least knew how to listen. So he said, you've heard this before. And they'd heard it so much. It had been repeated over and over again ad nauseum so that these truths or these thoughts that had come from the uh, the the rabbis and the teachers of those times would have been so ingrained inside of their minds just because of how frequently they heard it. And he said, you have heard that it was said by them of old time. Now, we need to just think for a second here. Jesus does not have a problem with Moses here. So obviously Moses, uh, he spoke and he wrote down these words and we've got them in the scripture. That happened a long time ago. But Jesus doesn't have a problem with Moses. Jesus was speaking about the rabbinical teachers, the rabbis, 
You've heard these old ancient rabbinical teachers tell you this, and the Jews held the ancient rabbinical commentators in higher esteem than the lawgiver himself, and the lawgiver would be God, the Father. And they did it almost to the point of idolatry. Jesus said in another place, they were making the commandments of God to none effect because they would almost rather, and they did, obey the traditions of men and the commentaries on what God's truth was over what God had told them. You know, God has made his commandments so so simple to understand. It, even a child can understand them. And yet sometimes in our heart, because our heart is not right with God, we make it even more complicated and end up missing the point. And that's exactly what was happening here with the Pharisees and with the Sadducees. And because of that, also the people of the uh, present day that, that Jesus is speaking to. So he said, you've heard said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. So what does kill mean here? Let's back up for a second. The Jews had such a strict focus on the outward performance, and to their detriment, they did not focus so much on the inward condition of the heart. So when they were giving their laws, it was what you do and don't do. And so that is the context of Jesus even bringing these things up. You've heard this said before, thou shalt not kill. So what does kill here mean? Does it mean simply taking someone else's life? You know, that somebody was killed, you know, whatever circumstance? Is this speaking against capital punishment when the government then takes someone's life because of some crime they've committed. This is properly speaking of murder. Murder is different than simply just taking a life, though when you murder someone, you do take their life. Murder conveys more a mal intent. You have an ill in your heart towards the person. You don't like this person. They make you angry. Uh, you hate them. You despise them, and therefore you end up murdering them. And the Bible does speak of intent in the loss of life. So this helps us to understand that what was being taught them was talking more about murder. Deuteronomy 19 verses 4 through 6 says, And this is the case of the slayer, somebody who killed someone, which shall flee thither that he may live. Whoso killeth his neighbor ignorantly, whom he hated not in time past— and here's an example, as when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbor to hew wood or to split it, and his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve, so the end of the axe slipping off of the wooden handle, and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die, he shall flee into one of those cities and live, lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death inasmuch as he hated him not in time past. So you can tell by this Old Testament reference that God always meant for the law to speak to the intent of the heart, even though the Pharisees and the Sadducees of this time seemed to have forgotten that. It wasn't a new thing that Jesus was telling them. He was simply just bringing to their attention the things that have always been true. The problem is that the Pharisees had divorced the law from their heart's condition. So they weren't so concerned about what was going on in their heart. You just do this and don't do this, and it doesn't really matter what's going on in your heart. 
you know, we cannot with good conscience divorce our heart from the demands of God's law. God's law is always speaking to the heart. And if the heart is right, then the actions will be right. And that is uh, precisely what Jesus is getting at. So kill here is solely applied to the act of taking one's life with ill intent. That is something. Murder is what we're talking about. And he was said that whosoever shall kill, no respecter of persons, doesn't matter who you are, high class of society or low, the law applies to all. He said, you've heard that it's been said that if you do that, whosoever you be, you will be in danger of the judgment. And the judgment that's here spoken of, it is a court. This court sat in each city or town and consisted commonly of seven members. Uh, There's other places where it has a greater number, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But it was the lowest court among the Jews, and from it, an appeal might be taken to the Sanhedrin. In the Old Testament, there were cities that were marked out for where a slayer could flee to await trial. So just like was referenced in Deuteronomy, that little section that we read, If that accidentally happened and you took someone's life, you had to flee to one of these cities that were appointed that you could be safe from the slayer because there was somebody who in civil government would avenge your blood because if you shed someone's blood, your blood should be shed. So they go and flee to the city and await their trial to find out what the reason was, what the intent. Was this person a murderer or was it by accident? So we can find that there in the Old Testament. He said, whosoever you are that kill will be in danger of judgment. He said, that's what you've heard, guys. That's what you've heard, all of you that are listening to the sound of my voice. That's what Jesus is saying. Moving on to verse 22, we read, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Okay, well, we need to break this down a little bit. Another version says it in a way that maybe is more accessible to the way we talk and think now. It says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Here, Jesus starts by saying, but I say unto you, Jesus is establishing his authority over the doctors of the law. And that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so angry with him, because he had such sway over the people. And he basically said, I am telling you the truth, and I am taking authority. And they didn't like him challenging their supposed authority. So Jesus was telling them, you had an understanding It was passed down to you by the commentators of men, but here's the true meaning of God's law. This was always the heart of God. This is nothing new. And he uses that same word, whosoever, because he wants to include the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're not above this either. He uses their same language to apply the true meaning of the law. So he's saying to them, no respecter of persons, including you, doctors of the law, And then the King James Version says, angry without a cause. Though in the original Greek, there is discrepancies about whether that without a cause was there or not, it does bring up the point about intent. You know, if that sometimes there can be a righteous anger, but there's often an anger that is not for the cause of righteousness. 
and angry just basically for no good righteous cause. And as I mentioned in the beginning, we're living in a world that is triggered with anger so easily. Um, we're angry because I don't like the way somebody talked to me. They crossed my ego. I just don't like them. They can't tell me the truth. I don't want to hear the truth. So they get angry. And that's what we're talking about here. If you're angry, just, you know, out of some wicked ill that's inside of your heart. And that is sometimes hard for us to understand right now, because sometimes we just think all anger is justified if we think it's justified. But there's a higher law than just our own reasoning. He said, if you are angry, not just if you kill, but now he's drilling down. You're angry. If you're angry, you're in danger of judgment. And that is talking about the first court. Before it said sometimes it was comprised of seven. Sometimes it was composed of 23 magistrates whose business it was to judge in cases of murder and other capital crimes. And then it punished criminals by strangling or beheading. So Jesus is bringing the seriousness of anger to them, basically as the seed of murder. And he said, if you say to your brother, Reka, or in other words, you good for nothing, you worthless person, you shallow brains, you dummy. If you talk to somebody like that, now the anger in your heart is coming out to your mouth and it's becoming vocal. Then he said, you're in danger of the Supreme Court. He said, you'll be in danger of the council, but that is akin to our Supreme Court. And this was the Sanhedrin. This was composed of 72 elders, six chosen out of the each uh, 12 tribes of Israel. And this grand Sanhedrin not only received appeals from the inferior Sanhedrins or the court that was mentioned of, of the 23 that were mentioned before, but could alone take jurisdiction and responsibility for uh, inflicting capital punishment. So he said, anger in your heart will bring you to the lower court. If you say to your brother, you good for nothing, worthless fool, or you worthless dummy, you shallow brains, then you go up to the next tier where you can get dragged before the Supreme Court and they could execute capital punishment to you. And he said, but if, then if you say thou fool, and this means in their mind, it would have been saying you apostate. That means you turned your back on God. You don't love God. You're a rebel against God. And that was a, a, a great insult to the Jews. That was terrible. He said, then you are in danger of hellfire. And uh, Adam Clark has brought this out very nicely. This term hellfire in the original language is speaking about the valley of the son of Hinnom. This place was near Jerusalem and had been formerly used for those abominable sacrifices in which the idolatrous Jews had caused their children to pass through the fire to Moloch. A particular place in this valley was called Tophet, which means the first stove, in which some supposed they burnt their children alive to Moloch, the idol that was just talked about. From the circumstances of this valley having been the scene of those infernal sacrifices, the Jews in Jesus' time used the word for hell, the place of the damned. It is very probable that Jesus means no more here than this, that if a man charge another man with apostasy from the Jewish religion or turning their back on God, being a rebel against God, and you can't prove that charge, then you are exposed to that punishment burning alive, which the other would have suffered if that charge were true. So now he's saying, you say, you fool, you apostate. Well, then you get tried. Is that person really an apostate? Did they really turn their back on God? If they didn't, then you go down to that valley of the son of Hinnom, Tophet, and you'll be burned alive. These are some pretty graphic descriptions Jesus is giving to the people of those times. And so 
Jesus is using their present understanding of their judicial system to convey to them the seriousness of these sins, anger, and speaking to somebody with hard words, which would lead to murder. So there's three stages. First, anger against a man, accompanied maybe with some injurious act. Secondly, you have contempt in your heart again uh, towards them. You know, the anger's first there, then the contempt, and you express uh, by calling somebody a name. And then thirdly, if that's not checked, it goes to hatred. You, it, The person ends up being your mortal enemy, which then could lead you to doing that act of murder. So the punishment, uh, the problem was three tiers, and the punishment is three tiers. First, you go to the first court, then you'd go to the Supreme Court, and if they found you sentenced, then you'd be burnt alive. Jesus is making it so serious to these people. And um, that is something that we need to understand is we need to put ourselves in the same position as these people and thinking with their same mind. Jesus expresses the seriousness of these offenses in this life, and then from that, inferring that the eternal punishment and consequences would be far greater than what they would even fear as he was talking about these courts and the burning alive here on earth. So Jesus just explained to them and drilled down deeper as to what this law's intent was, and now he continues on in the 23rd verse. Therefore, if thou, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Let's stop right here. Jesus now teaches that it is imperative to cut the root of murder before it, it grows, or the seed of murder before it grows. He's speaking about when they would go inside of the temple and bring their offerings. That's their gift to the altar. So he says, if you go into the temple to worship God, you bring your gift to the altar, your sacrifice, uh, you, and, and really in our present day, the thought would be this. If you bring some kind of sacrificial devotion to God, you bring your money, you bring your religious duties, what you want to do to God, or you're just trying to cultivate your relationship with God, you know, you're trying to draw close to him and, and be more um, in-depth spiritually, you want to uh, further yourself along spiritually, and you come to God like that, and while you're doing so, remember that there's trouble with someone else in your life something you've done that needs to be fixed, then you can't have something against another person in your heart and be pleasing to God because that is the seed of murder there. It needs to be taken care of. You have the seed of murder growing in your heart. And in 1 John 4.20, it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So he says to them, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, you need to take care of the breach real fast so that it does not get so far as murder. Remember those three stages we talked about earlier? First, anger. And then if you allow that anger to be there, you start saying hard and insulting words to people. And if that happens, you start to have a contempt in your heart grow for them where they end up becoming your mortal enemy. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you're trying to follow me and you are you know, coming to church or you're coming to the place of prayer and in the middle of that, you find that you have ought against your brother. There's something wrong in your heart. You've done something that needs to be made right then here's what you need to do. You need to go take care of it. And in verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. In other words, 
Don't go through the motions and pretend to be all religious, all super holy and pious. Leave off your devotions to God. Leave off whatever religious duties, whatever wonderful good things you're doing for God. Leave it off and go take care of it right away. So devotion to God, so-called, does not take precedence over devoted obedience to God. Because if you truly have the, the right kind of devotion to God, it's going to show in your actions. So we can't just have a devoted uh, way of speaking, way of praying and all this. It needs to uh, affect, infect and affect our entire lives. If I'm devoted to God, I'm going to be right with people too. Most spiritual thing you can do in that time is to forget you're acting so pious and holy and just do the right thing. That's what Jesus is telling these people. First, be reconciled to thy brother. You can't be reconciled to God if you're not reconciled to your brother because of some bitterness that's in your soul. Uh, another place in the scripture says um, to be at peace with all men if it's possible. So we have to understand we do our part. Other people may not... Um, you know, be so forgiving over something that we may have done, but at least in our own heart, we've got to get it taken care of. And if that true reconciliation of reconciliation of friendship doesn't happen, um, at least we know in a clear conscience, we have done our part before God. So until you stop the seed of murder from sprouting in your heart, you can't draw near to God in a way that pleases him. Moving on to verse 25, Jesus said, Agree with thine adversary quickly, whiles thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. So uh, I want to read another version again, too. It kind of helps make this point a little clearer. Make friends quickly with your opponent. Uh, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way to court, that is, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Okay, so here's some things that are brought out before us. This connects back with that um, warning that Jesus gave about having ought or something against your brother in the previous verse. So, He's essentially saying, take care of the troubles you have with someone immediately and do not let them escalate. Especially, don't have so much anger in your heart to want to get even with them. And think about going to court, okay? So somebody did wrong to you and you want to take them to court and you want to show them the, the awful and evil thing they did. And so because of that, you want to take vengeance on them. Uh, I had talked with somebody, it was a while back, somebody did this person wrong and they were not happy about it and they wanted to sue. And I had to say to them, why do you want to sue? Do you want to sue because you want to get even with them? Because then there's something wrong in your heart. However, if you do need to uh, do something and the legal matters are the only way to take care of it and make it right. I can't say that the Bible wholesale condemns going to law, but there's re there's repercussions we have to consider. So think about it. Somebody's done you wrong. You try and take them to law and you want to show them who's boss. So you may be able to drag the other one down. You know, you may be able to win your case, but you come out a loser after all that time and effort and expense as well. You can take them down 
but then all of the effort and time and expense that was put into it, it ends up hurting you. Or if you take them to court and you don't win and, it, and the judgment turns around on you and you're the one in the wrong, you could go through all that legal battle to waste all of the time and money and still end up in prison. I remember my dad, he owned a landscaping business. When I was younger, I remember one guy not paying my father uh, the money that they contracted for. And this man had more money than my father. And my my father thought, well, if I try and get a lawyer, um, the amount of money that I have to pay for a lawyer is so much that by the time this case is done, I may be able to win all the money that this man contracted for me uh, legally, but all of it would go to paying for the lawyer. So what my dad did was try to go to small claims court and just get taken get it taken care of without a big, long, drawn-out process. He represented himself. And instead of getting the full price that was due him in the contract, he would have settled with this man for 50% because at least he would have gotten some money and he would have saved, saved a whole lot of time. It's unfortunate, but I think that's somewhat of the principle that Jesus was trying to bring up right now. He's saying that if you did wrong with somebody, rather than showing them who's boss and really sticking it to them, be reconciled with them right away, lest when you go to court... It doesn't turn out so well. And there's eternal significance in Jesus' words, because if we hold somebody responsible in that way uh, here in life, and we don't forgive somebody, and we keep asserting ourselves and our right and whatever, we don't want to get to the last day and be surprised before the God of heaven and realize that I'm going to have to pay for all of my own wrongs and ills. And then I've gone through all of that and held my bitterness and my grudge all the way to my dying day and then find out that I'm not right with God and I'm not going to enter heaven because of what's been on in my heart. That is what Jesus is trying to bring out. And this next verse expounds it all the much more. Uh, 26, 526, Matthew 526, verily or truly, I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Or another version, truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Wow. Not only does this principle apply to this life with disputes that may be between people, but as I said, think about how this applies when you stand before God on judgment day. How's he going to treat you? If you don't forgive your brother, I want to read a parable of Matthew 18 verses 23 through 35. Jesus said, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay his Lord, he commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. 
Then, summoning him, his lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Do you have something in your heart against another person? Do you need to go make something right? Do you have bitterness in your heart against someone and you want to repay them somehow? Maybe you don't want to repay them, but you want to see them get what's coming to them. Have you been trying to act like everything's okay between you and God when things are not okay between you and somebody else? Did you find that there's anger in your heart? And then Jesus has told you, as I've gone through this study with you, you're hearing Jesus say to you, you're already guilty of murder because of what's going on in your heart. You may be saying, what do I do now? What's my next step? I would ask you to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. Introduce yourself to me. Set up a time to meet. And I want to coach and help you further to walk with God. Also, Go to our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, like and follow us. You'll get more teaching and preaching to help you on your journey. You'll be able to connect with others that are going through their own journeys. And then I want you to tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. here on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. And then also tell your friends about social media so that they also can link up. And the most important thing is, with all the things that you could resist in this world, join the most important resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen sa forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.